Shall we pray? Father, we're thankful that we can come aside and reflect upon your word. I pray for grace to um, expound upon it. We thank you that your word is rich. It is a deeper mind than any of us can truly plumb. But we pray that we might be able to enter into some of the things that may help and encourage and challenge and even convict. We thank you again for this time and pray that your spirit would guide all. In Jesus' name, amen. In the middle of the week, we got news um, that Victoria Fagaday had passed. Our condolences to Simi and to Lecan and to Atunuke. This is a, a second, um, I was going to say matriarch, who that's passed. Uh, Gabriel's mother uh, passed uh, less than two months ago, Dorcas, and uh, our hearts go out to, to these families. This is a, this can be a hard thing to, to lose um, a, close, a close relative, and uh, we should remember our brothers and sisters in prayer. At the time I got the call midweek about um, this event, uh, well, the, one of the implications of the event would be that uh, Unime Akpan would not be speaking to you this morning. You have probably concluded that I'm not Unime Akpan. I, I wish uh, that I had such a nice exotic name. I have a very boring name. Uh, but I was already, um, as I said to David McDonald, thinking about this subject. And then I said to David McDonald, is this an indelicate thing to, to talk about that I had already been uh, thinking about? And then got this call after I had been thinking about this. And, and uh, all I would say is that it, it does need indeed to be handled uh, carefully. Death is a very, very sobering thing. And uh, of course, how we look at it depends on whether we know the Lord. That's it. This is everything as to whether we, we know the Lord. And of course, the, 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 um, the end of it is different for the believer than it is for the non-believer. At the breaking of bread this morning, the very first passage that was broken out for us by Ken Robertson was Romans 5. And it is my first scripture this morning as well. It is a a footnote to these three words uh, comes to all. Indeed, it comes to all. Paul, in his magnum opus of theology, the book of Romans, he is building a foundation of how sin is everywhere and in everyone, and that it is associated with death in that we inherit sin and we commit sin that necessitates salvation, salvation by faith. As it says there, wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. This is part of the, this is the beginning of that uh, book, that foundation. And yet, and yet, I have to tell you that there are exceptions to this general principle and general rule. So I'm going to go through this in seven parts. It is 11.30. I will try to be a good boy and get through seven things on the scriptures teaching on physical death. 
that it is a consequence of sin, as I have just said. That physical death affects only the body. You might find that to be a strange statement. It is, however, a necessary statement. However, it's not inevitable. There are exceptions for God's redeemed. That's interesting. It ends in resurrection. It is sometimes referred to in the New Testament as sleep for believers. Physical death does not mean that life does not continue at the moment of physical death. In fact, your soul continues to live. And finally, a word on the pre-resurrection state of the believer. Isn't it, I don't know if you've ever found it, um, make you shake your head that uh, when people who know not the Lord, who, who have no resonance in their hearts with these things of Christ, when do they go to church? When, when do they sort of think, well, maybe, maybe I should. Maybe I, you know, maybe I should. Well, sometimes when somebody's born, there's a, a service, and then the relatives come, and those relatives sometimes haven't darkened the door of a church since, since one of these three events, the second one being marriage. People, um, although I'm told, I'm told that people are just not bothering with it much in terms of a church service anymore. This is not news to you. But, of course, it is a long-standing sort of thing in, in, in Western society, believing or not, that you get married in a church. It's just what you do. And people come to church services that are around the wedding, and maybe the last time they have been in a church is quite a while ago. And finally, the most sobering one is when somebody dies, and, and they are known to the non-believer, and the non-believer with some measure of discomfort comes to church. I was on a field trip with a, um, I will call this individual, this, this uh, remarkable Korean individual, an employee of mine, in a sense he was. And we went on a, on a field trip and he knew full well that, uh, that I was a believer. We were 10 minutes into the drive and he said, you're not afraid to die, are you? <laughs> It, what, what, where did that come from? <clears throat> and um, his name was Sang Yun. And uh, I thought, how do I, you know, give me pause to respond. Um, I said, well, I would probably be afraid of a very painful death if I saw it coming. Because I am no different than any other man. I, I don't welcome a lot of pain. I might fear pain. But death itself, death itself, not at all. Not at all. He shook his head. What? This is different. It's different. And we continued to uh, work for a period of time, and he moved to Calgary. And I feel that it's high time that I, I gave that, uh, that man a phone call. But he was the kind of individual, in fact, he told me that he didn't really like going to church, but his daughter liked to go to Sunday school in the Korean church, so that's when he went, he and his wife went to church, it was when their, their daughter insisted that they go to church. Well, what do they say at a funeral? They pretty much quote this. There's a sort of a corresponding um, piece in Ecclesiastes. Dust to dust. Ashes, ashes. This is part of um, the fall. 
It is a reality of the fall. Death is a consequence of sin. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return unto the ground, for it was out of it thou wast taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. This is speaking of physical death. And 5.12 again. Wherefore, as one man, this is the theological statement, entered into the world, sin entered into the world by one man, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. We have, in this day and age, I can think of one cult that claims to use the Bible, and I can think of a non-Christian major world religion that um, has a sort of analogous belief that when you die, that is the extinction and annihilation of what you are. That everything about you ends when you physically die. It's not true. It's not true. I had a high school teacher. He was a notorious fellow, Max. It's funny that a high school teacher should be known by Max, but he was a World War II veteran and he couldn't care less what you called him. But he used to say, on this subject, because you got onto all kinds of subjects with Max, when you die, that's you down there. And he was teaching in high school that that was the end of you in toto. No. Here's a little cited verse. Yea, also because he transgresseth by wine, he is a proud man. Now, I should give you some background. This is a prediction of a Chaldean invasion as a judgment on Israel. Neither keepeth he at home who enlargeth his desire as hell, and is as death, and cannot be satisfied, but gathereth unto him all nations, and heapeth unto him all people. So this is actually using a, 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 a comparison between a a, a devouring invader, and Sheol, the Hebrew word for hell. Now, there's people there, and when you add people to people, that means they're already there. If you're adding people to people, that means there's some more there, and there is. And it never is satisfied, the scriptures teach us. And a very important parable of Jesus in this regard, of course, is Luke 16, 23, about the rich man and Lazarus. I believe we considered that last year. And that rich man in hell who carried nothing during this life but pleasure and consumption. In hell, he lift up his eyes being in torments and seeing Abraham far off and Lazarus in his bosom. Abraham's bosom was a... A, a, a euphemism for paradise. He's dead. He's physically dead. But he's in hell. It's not the end of you when you physically die. Now, here's an interesting exception to the general rule in terms of the redeemed people of God, the believers, the child of God. And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. He didn't die. He was taken away by God. I believe that, that this was in keeping with Enoch's um, 
devotion to the Lord, and that it is prophetic, that it is prophetic of something that is commonly known as the rapture. Here is the central passage from the New Testament on the rapture. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words, the central passage on the teaching of the rapture, the taking up of the dead in Christ as well as the living in Christ at the return of Christ. But physical death, that going back into molecules of dust, well, you know, they're going to be put back together in a different way. It ends in resurrection. Resurrection. This is the good news part of the message. Job, in the midst of terrible suffering, comforted himself with some amazingly prescient words. He knew he could look ahead he could see, he knew in his heart that he belonged to the Lord and he knew that he was redeemed. I know that my Redeemer liveth and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. Well, that means that Job expected to see his Redeemer and to be with his Redeemer. The Apostle Paul writes in our most beautiful chapter, on resurrection, behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trump shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. I hope that this, this is something that you look forward to. Number five, as you just saw, the uh, scriptures, the New Testament, uses what we might call a euphemism for the death of the believer. What is a euphemism? Well, we, we like to use delicate terminology when referring to death. It is commonly said in our culture and in our day that when someone dies, they have passed away. We are not so, uh, we, we try not to be too blunt about something that is a heart-rending thing. Similarly, you find in the New Testament the use of the idea that um, a, a believer who has passed away has, is asleep. And in fact, some believers in 1 Corinthians actually died, there's precedent for this in Acts, as a, as a judgment for unrepentant behavior. There's a sobering thought. God brings the life of the believer to, the, to an end as a judgment rather than allow them to continue in this sinful and, and, and terrible behavior, which is a terrible testimony. And many sleep. They passed away. 
And as we just saw in 1 Corinthians, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. When, when we think of this sleep, we, it fits in the sense that the person is lying down and not interacting with the rest of us. So they used this terminology to refer to that. Why is that perhaps particularly appropriate as a euphemism for, for the church? Because you could be awakened, as we saw in 1 Thess 4, at any time. You could be awakened. Philippians 3, 20 to 21. For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to sub subdue all things to himself. That's a wonderful passage. We read something a little bit earlier this morning from, from Philippians, wonderful principles. The um, King James word conversation is, uh, if you look in some of the other translations and you check um, the, the true scholars, W.E. Vine and so on, You'll find that it's translated, for example, citizenship. Another way is commonwealth. And uh, polituma has that sense. And um, as some of you may know, Massachusetts technically is the commonwealth of Massachusetts. The scriptures teach us, 1 Peter teaches us, that our citizenship is in heaven. What does it mean to be part of a commonwealth? To be, have that kind of thinking about where your true riches are and where your, your true treasure is. The Lord said, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Where's your heart? Where's your treasure? Where's your true commonwealth? Is it connected to the quality of the furniture in your living room? <laughs> That's kind of sad, I think, isn't it? If this, what, if this is what makes or breaks your happiness, is, is uh, how new the furniture is or how new the car is, or all of these things that um, the moth, the rust, the mold, the corrosion, the dis general discard is going to get every bit of it, every last bit of it. It's all passing, passing away. But our commonwealth as believers is actually somewhere else. I hope that's where you, you have your conversation, as it were, your, your interaction in your terms of your values. And what you hold precious is not the passing things of this earth, which includes your vile body. Excuse me for calling your body vile. I'll tell you, mine is vile. It, um, my wife starts to plug her ears when, when I start to say, where's my bifocals, you know? Just, not again. He's looking for his bifocals again. And, and what else, and what else, and what else? You know, my knee is talking to me today. Oh. These, these physical bodies, aren't they going downhill? And are we surprised? And should we be surprised? Not a bit. They are going back to the dust, just like the couch in the living room. They are deteriorating. It is inevitable that they deteriorate. There is, if we can say, if the King James, if we use that, a vileness to them, 
But what does the scripture say about the resurrection body? Here we have the hope of the possibility that you may be alive when the Lord uh, raptures away his own. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, and with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Resurrection. If you're alive, you'll be caught up. You won't be resurrected. But what you'll have in common with the resurrected people is a new body, not a vile body. Together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. And again, comfort one another with these words. I love this verse, speaking of the gloriousness of that which is to come, beloved. Now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Do you look forward to that? Do you look forward to that day when you will look your Savior in the face, face to face with your Redeemer? Job looked forward to that day, face to face with your Redeemer. And at that moment, you will be changed physically. You will be given a new body like his. We shall be like him. Vile, corrupt bodies that we have. Again, 1 Corinthians. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sowed in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body, and there is a spiritual body. Second Corinthians, the second letter, chapter 5. For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved back to dust, we have a building of God, and house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house which is from heaven. If so be that being clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened, not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon, that mortality might be swallowed up in life. Now he that hath wrought us for the selfsame thing is God, who also hath given unto us the earnest of the Spirit. Therefore we are always confident, knowing that Whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body than to be present with the Lord. So this is very important, to be absent from the body, the unseen person that lives inside your body. For the believer is to be present with the Lord. And that's my next and last point. What is the state of the believer after death? 
You remember where this happened? I'm sure you do. There is the Lord Jesus with a thief on either side, him being crucified with two thieves, also crucified on either side. And one of them said, remember me. And what did Jesus say back to him? Verily I say unto thee, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Philippians 1. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what shall I choose? I wot not. For I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to be part and to be with Christ, which is far better. Paul himself knew perfectly well that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. You know, there is a certain amount of, I think, general confusion sometimes that the believer thinks that he or she will join with the innumerable numbers in a general judgment believer and unbeliever. No, no. There's no there can't be two judgments for the believer. Where, is, where, where were your sins judged? At Calvary. It's a, it's, a, it's a fact of law by analogy, by analogy, that we don't put people in double jeopardy. Have you been tried and acquitted of a crime? Well, guess what? The government doesn't have another go at you because they didn't win. That's called double jeopardy. You can't be tried twice for the same crime. God doesn't judge the believer's sin twice. It's already been judged. There's no, you have no judgment at this place. Your sin has already been judged at Calvary. And as a footnote for the believer, that's consistent with the following fact. What did Jesus say in Matthew 6 about the people who were very religious and got all kinds of man-made and human attention about their spirituality and religiousness? Four or five times he ended his descriptions of these extremely, apparently, spiritual people with the following statement. They have their reward. They have their reward. They already got it. You can read in Corinthians again how the Lord will evaluate when you are caught up in the air with him. Your work. Some of it will be shown to be nothing more than hay. No value empty stuff. Some of it will be shown to be gold. But this is a question of reward. So my point being that if you got a reward on earth, don't expect, don't expect when you meet the Lord that you will get an, another one for your apparently spiritual behavior. No, you got it. It was down there. It was passing away. And in fact, it was nothing. In a similar vein, the God is just. Sin has been judged at Calvary. You don't come face to face with your sin and God again. It's already been done. It's already accomplished. 
And you can read in Revelation 20 about this great white throne in the Book of Life. That's a very sobering passage, but it's not for the believer. I hope this morning, as we've considered a few um, principles and thoughts from Scripture, that you can say from your heart that I hope the Lord comes soon. Because that's what that means. Maranatha means, Lord, come. Is that the, the joy of your heart, to look forward to the Lord coming? I hope it is. I hope that from the bottom of your heart, you know what it is to love the Lord's appearing. There's a special crown for people who love the Lord's appearing. I would challenge you with that last thought. We should be people who love the Lord's appearing, especially as we meditate upon the implications for us. Shall we pray? We thank you, Father, for uh, your word and the testimony of your word. Thank you that we can look forward to a complete redemption. We thank you that for those of us who have put their trust in the judgment that took place there on Calvary for our sins, that there is no more expectation of judgment for us. It has already taken place, and we can look forward to being like him, for we shall see him as he is. We thank you again for this time around your word and pray that your spirit would apply these things to our hearts severally and as according to our own need. In Jesus' name, amen.